My title this morning, Jeffrey and Nicole, is The Anchor Holds. The Anchor Holds. Now, I've been around boats a lot in my life, not so much lately, but certainly as I was growing up. We had a very modest, and I mean modest, houseboat. Don't be impressed. <laughs> I think it cost $5,000. You know, it was very modest. And and we had little ski boats and runabout boats type things and fishing boats. And so I was on lakes a lot growing up and spent a lot of time on the water. And I was always kind of fascinated by anchors. Uh, anchors, they come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, some are made of steel, some are just like cannonballs. In fact, some are kind of homemade jobs, right? You can come off, a brick block can be an anchor. You can come up with almost anything. And they have these uh, different um, ways that they accomplish their singular purpose. And as a young boy on a boat and your dad throwing out an anchor and you don't even know how deep it is, you don't know what's at the bottom. I was always fascinated because there's even some mystery in anchors. You know, where's it going to Stop! And how is it going to just not drag along the bottom? And how, why is this even going to work? This this thing here that's going to keep us in place. And as I've thought about it, there are really actually many reasons that uh, you would drop anchor, and they all have spiritual analogies or spiritual metaphors. You come upon a beautiful spot on the water, and you don't want to lose that spot, that view, that moment. You drop anchor. We want to stop right here, or maybe even a great fishing hole. Right. You get you get hot and you find them. And it's like we it's so easy to drift away. So we drop anchor. Sometimes you drop anchor because you need to rest from navigating that you need to rest from wrestling a steering wheel or dealing with wind and waves and currents. And you just want to be still for a while. You drop anchor. Certainly, if you're on a houseboat in a big lake and you want to sleep at night, and you don't have a way to get to a bank, you've got to drop anchor because you don't know where you're going to end up the next morning if you don't. So we prevent drift while sleeping with anchors. We've been experiencing a lot of this lately around here on land, and that's heavy fog. Heavy fog is terrorizing on water. Uh, You just really don't know what is happening. It's so thick, you can't even see the end of the boat sometimes. And so sometimes the fog is so thick that travel is really dangerous and so you just want to drop anchor just call time out of course the time we often would think about when we even bring this up would be storms right when storms are raging and we cannot navigate maybe that's the time to drop anchor and in the ultimate sense every believer has dropped anchor Every believer has an ultimate anchor. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. And so we have a hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of being in heaven with God forever, the hope of Christ himself and his return. And that hope is an anchor for our souls, for our innermost being, for our hearts and our minds and our wills and our emotions it holds us fast this hope so what i want to do using ephesians uh, 1 3 to 14 is i want to find some anchors for the heart especially for jeffrey and nicole some anchors for their hearts some anchors for the soul but it's really for all of us because none of us knows what life will hold for us none of us knows what today will hold what tomorrow will hold And so we all need to be reminded today and encouraged today and strengthened today by some anchors for the heart. 
Now, before I get to the anchors, I got to make some critical observations about this text that I read for you earlier. And I'll just point a few of these out to you. The first observation we want to see is that the Trinity is involved in this passage. This is a triune type passage. Blessed be the verse three, the God and father of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Christ is mentioned many times and God the father is referred to as the, uh, the he in these pronouns. Christ is the beloved in verse six. And God the father lavished grace in verse eight. And so forth, all the way down through, you you see all of these pronouns and all these times Christ is mentioned. And then by verse 13, the Holy Spirit comes into the picture. Certainly it's dominant with God the Father and God the Son, but also God the Holy Spirit there is mentioned. The next observation, and I was doing it even then, is in Christ. Eleven times in this passage... Eleven times we read the words in him or in Christ or through Jesus Christ or in the beloved. All of the spiritual blessings, all of the riches that God would pour out on a person is found only in Christ. He is, he has a sole monopoly on salvation. He has an exclusive dealership on every spiritual blessing. If you want to be blessed spiritually, you've got to get it through Christ. He's the sole means. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, every spiritual blessing in our life flows down from Mount Calvary. Flows down from Mount Calvary. Christ crucified and Christ then risen. And so this is a passage about what happens for a person who is in him. The next observation is God's grace here. God's grace is the theme of this passage. It's referred to as love, God's kind intention. This grace we read here has been freely bestowed, freely given, poured out. It is a grace, verse 8, that is what? Lavished on us. Love that word. Poured on us. Overwhelming grace given to us through Christ. The other thing about this passage is it is a crescendo of praise. It begins as praise. Blessed be. This is not dry doctrine. This is not stuff for just theology books or things to argue about or debate about. This is worship. (laughs) This is praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you know that from verse 3 to verse 14 is one long sentence in Greek? Paul just cannot stop. It's just flowing out of his mouth because it's a crescendo of praise. What a way to start a letter. Verse 3 sets the tone, but there is a refrain in this crescendo of praise, right? There's, it's, it's like a refrain in a song that you come back to. The refrain is in verse 6. And in verse 6, it's, it's stated at its fullest measure there. To the praise of the glory of his grace, his unmerited favor. And then Paul shortens it for the next two times. Verse 12 and verse 14. And so he starts with praise, one long sentence of praise, and then the refrain of to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now all of that is pretty mind-blowing, pretty overwhelming by itself. But now consider the historical context. Paul writes, while under house arrest... Paul writes 
in a prison of sorts, his first imprisonment in Rome as he awaits trial as to whether he's going to live or whether he is going to die. And in that Roman imprisonment, he wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and probably Philemon. And so this is a prison epistle. Paul is praising God from prison. Paul is praising God without freedoms. Paul is praising God even though he cannot leave this house and this Roman soldier chained to his side. What an amazing passage this is. Jeffrey and Nicole, what does the future hold? Well, only God knows. But I think we can make some pretty good guesses. It holds triumphs and it holds trials. It holds joys and it holds sorrows. There will be elation and confusion. There will be routine and there will be culture shock. There will be busyness and there will be loneliness. And there will be homemaking and there will be homesickness. The future will hold all of those things. But what I want you to hear today is come what may and no matter what, There are three anchors that hold. There are three anchors that will keep you secure. Now, I had to pull out a medical illustration, right? Now, I know you're not a cardiologist, but I want you to think of these three anchors like three stents. They're going to keep the spiritual blood flowing, okay? (laughs) All right? Here's another. They're like three sutures that are going to hold you together until your ultimate healing Three sutures that God is going to weave between him and you and your soul until your bodily redemption. All right, so let's look at them together. Anchor number one or suture number one, whichever analogy you want. Number one, you are loved forever. God has always loved you. This is in verses three to six. This takes us back to eternity past. When were we chosen? Verse four. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, before God spoke it all into existence. He had already chosen us. He had already loved us. He had already set his love upon us. Biblical choosing and election is always done with the motive of love. In fact, look further in the passage, verse 4 and then into verse 5. In love, he predestined us. In unconditional, eternal, infinite, uncaused love, he predetermined that he would adopt us as sons through Jesus Christ himself. See, all of these great theological truths of being elected or being predestined are all motivated by sovereign grace, by unconditional and freely bestowed love. This is not a doctrine of cold fatalism. This is not a doctrine that is clinical or arbitrary or mechanical in any way. For every believer here this morning, your triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has loved you forever. He didn't start loving you the day you were born. He didn't start loving you the day Jesus died on the cross. He loved you before you ever existed He's always loved us. And this love is a passionate love. This love is a love of affection, a love of delight, a love that he sets upon us for no reason found in us whatsoever. Completely unconditional. Why does he love us? Because he loves us. 
He loves us because he loves us. He loves us because he wanted to. No one made him. No one forced him. No one twisted his arm. He is under no coercion to love any of us. He's loved us forever and ever. This is an anchor for the soul, is it not? This is a place where the heart can settle down and say, Come what may, I am loved and I know it in the depths of my soul. Here is a sure anchor for the storms of life. Anchors have to find a a, a hold, a grab, a, a footing, you know. And so here's a thought for you. Wedge, wedge this anchor somewhere between election and predestination. Just wedge it down in between the two of those things and see how secure that is for your soul and your heart. What this means, Jeffrey and Nicole, is that everything that touches you has already been filtered through eternal love. Everything. This sickness, this trial, this setback, this loss, this whatever, this disappointment, this has been filtered through a love that has lasted forever. That's the first anchor. The second anchor is in verses 7 and 8. You have been bought with blood. Look at this. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means purchase. We've been bought. We've been acquired. We were slaves on a slave block of sin, owned by the devil. And Jesus came and paid a price to his heavenly father. That price was his life. He he redeemed us through his bloody death, through his life. And that accomplished for us forgiveness of our trespasses, forgiveness of our violations against God's law. We've been pardoned, full and free and total forgiveness of every sin we would ever commit. All of this according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Anchor number two is the believer is bought with blood. Here we look back to the cross then and definite atonement or definite redemption. The first look is eternity past. I was loved. The next look is 2,000 years ago. I was redeemed at Calvary. I wasn't made redeemable. I was redeemed. You were redeemed. You were atoned for at Calvary. He didn't accomplish. He didn't attempt your atonement. He accomplished your atonement. So I said earlier, all salvation blessings have been secured at the cross. What an amazing thing this is. God freely forgives all of our sins because Jesus bled and Jesus died for his own sheep. It's just an amazing thing to think. I just pray about it. I think about this. I want to preach this to my own heart. I want to say, how is this possible that all the sins of all the elect of all time would funnel down and that wrath and that fury would be poured on this one person? He was probably 5'8 and 130 pounds. And, and there he is hanging on a cross and all of it just gets poured on this one person. And how, how can he take my sin penalty upon himself and pay for that? What a miracle is the cross and the atonement that Jesus accomplished Blood is running down his face from the crown of thorns and he's pierced in his hands and his feet. He's been scourged on his back. He's, he's, he's been humiliated beyond anything that is imaginable. And there he is redeeming us, not making us redeemable. He is saving us, not making us savable. He is accomplishing atonement, not attempting atonement. 
And Revelation 5, 9 leaves no doubt for our souls when John and the, and the worshipers in heaven says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain, you were slaughtered, you were murdered, you were executed, and you purchased for God. You purchased for God with your blood people from out of every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. He, he purchased us out of all of those categories. And so what an anchor this is for our souls. Come what may, come what may, I have been blood bought. That's how much Jesus loves me. What can man do to me? That's how much he loves me. And this works the other side too, because you're going to another nation and tribes and peoples and tongues. And you go into that place carrying the gospel and the confidence and the hope that you're going to interact with people who have already been purchased. Isn't that exciting? This is what makes missions exciting. This is what makes missions real and possible. Because they're going to go to a place believing that God has his people there and they've already been redeemed. <laughs> and now they just need to hear what they must do in repentance and faith, trusting in Christ alone for that redemption 2,000 years ago to be applied to their lives. What a glorious thing this is. This is what gives hope to evangelism and missions. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, and reclaim them he did. Don't ever doubt it. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in your place condemned he stood. Sealed your pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Uh, yeah, totally full, free, complete, hallelujah, what a savior, lifted up was he to die. It is what? Finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior, what a savior. I pray this all the time, Lord Jesus, you can save whomever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. By the power of your spirit and the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Sierra Leonean. What does this mean for missions and ministry? Well, when we know that we've been bought with blood, this gives us perspective in suffering. This gives us perspective in our own suffering. And it also gives us right expectations in ministry. This, this set, the cross sets Christian ministry in its right context and its right paradigm and the right way to think about ministry. It, it clarifies everything for us. This truth, I'm bought with blood, prevents drift into social gospel. This is what prevents drift into in, institutionalized ministry into let's go do nothing but build hospitals and medical clinics. Let's go do nothing but care for the physical needs of a, of a very needy people. It is when we remember that we were bought with blood that I will not drift into a mere social gospel. 
And it is this truth, this anchor bought with blood that clears the fog of self-pity. I would probably say that missionaries and ministers and pastors can probably struggle with self-pity as much as anybody, if not more. And this is what clears the fog of that confusion, that confused thought that wants to say, God, look how much I've suffered for you. Or God, look how much I've sacrificed for you. God, look what I've done for you. And start moving into that realm of self-pity. Well, it is this truth bought with blood that clears that fog away. God's going to say, really? <laughs> really? You sacrificed for me? Then when I remember that I've been bought with blood, then I, can I even sacrifice? Can we as a Christian in light of that sacrifice, can we even make a sacrifice? In some ways, the answer is no, Right? In some ways, the answer is nothing. We, it, all, it all pales in comparison. I mean, what demands can we make on the sovereign if we're his slaves? If we've been bought with a price, you have been bought with a price, Paul said to the Corinthians. Therefore, glorify God with your body, right? What demands can we make when his son purchased us with his life? We don't have any demands. We don't even have any rights. We're unworthy slaves. Thank you, Nicole. She, she feels sorry for us. And we're sitting there going, what kind of feel sorry for y'all? Y'all leaving America. She's like, no, I feel sorry for you. You haven't get to experience what I've experienced. Well, they're headed to Houston. Uh, is that after church today? Is that still the plan? Okay. All right. You guys are headed to Houston today. And then Jeffrey will be headed to San Antonio on March 8th because, praise the Lord, four months early, he becomes an official U.S. citizen on March the 8th in San Antonio. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and they really, that was a huge answer to prayer. There's all, all of this is answer to prayer, right? Our church is an answer to their prayers. They are an answer to our prayers. <laughs> And people in Sierra Leone, and, and what this was a big answer to prayer because he wanted to go with a U.S. passport and U.S. citizenship. With the way things are, you don't want to be somewhere else and then need to come back, and that can get kind of dicey. Jeffrey is, has a Canadian uh, citizenship, and now on March 8th, he will have his ceremony for his American citizenship. And then he'll be headed back to Houston, and then at some point, I guess it's March 22nd, they will head to the airport, and then they're going to go from that airport, is it Paris? Then they're going to go to Paris, headed to Paris, and then some other country in Africa, which is? Okay, so, so, okay, so some, uh, Paris to some other country in Africa, and then from that country to Sierra Leone, but the traveling is not over. They're going to land at the airport in Sierra Leone, and then they got a ferry across an ocean inlet to the other, to the actual town. And then they've got to take all their stuff and all their kids and get on a, get on some kind of vehicle and get from there to their house. And then and Nicole's job in all of this is Myla, Elias, and Haven. That's her, that's her job. That's her job. Jeffrey's job is 15 bags of luggage. But your, your, your stuff is not moving. So it's, that ought to be easy, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's stationary <laughs> or complaining. It's stationary. So that's their, uh, that's how they've uh, done their assignments as they get there. 
So a lot of travel in their future, a lot of heading here and heading there and heading here and heading there. And in all of that, I don't want you to forget where you're ultimately headed. And it's not Sierra Leone. It's heaven. Okay. That's anchor number three. Anchor number three is we're headed for heaven. This is really the rest of the passage. Verse 8b to the end in verse 14. In one way or another, Paul's talking about the future. So we looked in eternity past and we looked at the cross and now he's looking to the future, eternity future, where he talks about the mystery of God's will and that God purposed in Christ to sum up everything in the universe. You see that in verse 10? God's going to put a bow on his plan for human history and the bow on top is Jesus Christ. He's going to wrap it all up in him, sum it all up in him. And then verse 11, you see, we, every believer has already obtained an inheritance an eternity with God. We've already been predestined to this inheritance because God's predestined all things according to his will. Verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, hope always is the one word looking forward would be to the praise of his glory. And then verse 14 is speaking of the bodily redemption, the bodily resurrection, the the rapture uh, that will be prerequisite for us being in God's presence forever and ever. All of this to sum up to say you're headed for heaven. You're pilgrims traveling to paradise. You're heaven bound. Sierra Leone is just a stop on the way. Kerrville is your launch pad. It's not your home. It's none of our homes. The most important citizenship is not Canada and not America. It's heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And one day we're going to hear what that thief on the cross heard. Today, you will be with me in paradise. In one form or another, we're going to hear that one day. This is interesting to think about with all the traveling and all the effort and all the blood, sweat and tears to get from here to there to do the work of the ministry. But to realize that I'm actually on a higher plane. I'm actually on another path. I'm on a path that leads to the celestial city. I'm on a path that leads to heaven. As I thought about this, it occurred to me, you've been heaven bound since the moment you trusted Christ, right? You've been on the way home since the moment you put your faith in Christ. How then do we think about what's about to happen? It's huge on the one hand, but on the other hand, this is just a job transfer. Is that not right? On the other hand, you're just being moved from one foreign embassy to another. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we are all in a foreign embassy. We are all soldiers dropped behind enemy lines. This is a job transfer. They're not going there to do anything they haven't been doing here, which is serving the Lord and trying to point people to his gospel of grace think of it this way we are ambassadors and we serve at the king's pleasure we serve at the king's pleasure if he wants us here we're here if he wants us there we're there if he wants us out of this world we're out of this world we're not our own we belong to another and you think why are they doing this well i'll tell you why they're doing this because they're headed for heaven and they don't want to go there alone and god has put a particular people on their heart to love and to serve Or to say it another way, 
How do we answer this question? Why have they walked away from a nice home in Kerrville with nice careers in healthcare and nice opportunities for a nice life until they're laid in a nice coffin? Because they understand that their nice life is the next one. You see, here's the great irony. The more we love the world, the less we will actually serve the world. But the more we hunger for heaven, the greater good we will be on earth. Love what you said at the beginning, Jeffrey. God has given you glimpses of eternity, more so now than ever. Praise the Lord. That's why houses and cars and pets are easy to leave behind when your destination is well done, good, and faithful servant. Houses are nothing. Pets are mere animals, not human beings made in the image of God for whom Jesus Christ hung on a cross. Cars are metal and plastic and glass that are going to end up in a recycled junkyard someday. Those things are nothing to walk away from when your destination is well done, good and faithful servant. Now, friends and family, that's a little harder. That's where the hurt comes because people matter. You've told us thank you this morning and I want to say on behalf of the church, thank you to the two of you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for walking by faith and not by sight and not by fear. Thank you for your diligence. Thank you for your perseverance. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your service, for your compassion. I have great confidence that they're going to work very, very hard in Sierra Leone because I've watched them work very, very hard here. My fear is they'll work too hard. <laughs> that, that's, that's our prayer for them is that they... Don't forget each other and forget their kids and don't burn themselves out in about two years, right? There's no fear here that they're going to go over there and be lazy because we've not seen that for one moment. As you go, Jeffrey and Nicole, I want you to remember that God has loved you forever. Because he loved you forever, he sent his son to buy you with blood. And because he bought you with blood, you're headed to heaven. See, this is not Mormon missions, y'all. They're not going there to earn their salvation, all right? Let's be clear. That is finished. They are going there because they belong to Christ and they know it. They're assured of that already. They know they're headed to heaven. And as you think about heaven, as you think about seeing the face of Jesus, I want you to imagine this scene right now, Jeffrey and Nicole. I want you to imagine this scene before Jesus when your life is over. I want you to imagine standing there before Christ and Sierra Leoneans coming up to you and saying, I am here because you left comfort. I am here because you left so-called security. I am here because you left Kerrville's 85 restaurants and 90 churches. And you've come here to talk to us about Jesus and you've come here to show us Jesus and you've come here to lay down your life like Jesus. By God's grace, imagine this scene. I am here because you went there. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> That's how to live for eternity. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. But it doesn't just apply to them. 
See, we can have that same experience with people right here in Kerrville, Texas. Right there next door to your right, to your left, across the street. We can have that same experience. And somebody could come up to us and say, I am here because you loved me like Jesus. You talked to me about Jesus. You laid down your life for me like Jesus. You and God's grace are the reason I am here. May it be. Amen.